Welcome back to the Sumix podcast. I am your host Tony Hand and today we will dive into the topic of permitting in the extractive sector. Specifically, we will explore the difficulties that arise when mining projects are located in nature protected spaces, such as Natura 2000 labelled areas. We'll also discuss how the EU nature restoration law from 2022 is increasing the pressure on extractive companies to achieve a net positive impact on biodiversity. Today we'll have the chance to learn from Leah Mogoliau and uh, Michael Rademacher, two experts in the field of permitting. Leah is a geological engineer by training and is working at the Portuguese Institute for Nature, Conservation and Forests, or the ICNF for short. Leah has more than two decades of expertise on the approval of quarries and open-cast mining projects planned in and around nature-protected areas. Michael is currently Professor for Ecology and Biodiversity at Bingen Technical University in Germany. Michael has extensive experience in uh, environmental protection and biodiversity, and he has worked both in research and in the industry. Before his current position, he was Director of Biodiversity and Natural Resources at Heidelberg Cement. So to start things off, I would like to refer back to one of our first episodes when we explored the topic of trust, which is a major concern for the industry, and when it comes to securing approvals for new projects. Michael has combined expertise in industry and research, and we are keen to hear from him whether he considers trust as an issue in the permitting process. The thing is that you have to convince, after you've done the uh, environmental impact assessment, you have to do also restoration concept, a restoration plan then for the, for the future. Unfortunately, very often is the reality is that the its authorities have no trust in mining, uh, in mining restoration plans, and they are there are big discussions about is there really is it really possible to mitigate uh, the measures or not? Because we are talking very often about a long time period. Yeah, we talk up sometimes about one hundred years or more from, for example, for cement industry. Mm-hmm. And I think, I guess, and you talk about uh, companies like Cecil and so on in 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 Portugal, and of course. Um, for the mining company, it, it's getting more and more complicated and very cost intensive to convince mining authorities or other authorities that there is a clear willingness and also knowledge how to restore mining sites because they have to trust the mining company that in 25 years, 50 years, 100 years, these restoration plans, which were discussed with the mining, as you, as you told that, with the all authorities really function. And therefore, we we suffer, at least in some Central European countries, with a lack of experience in many um, nature, for example, nature conservation authorities. So there are less and less experts, and more and more people only looking on the on the legal 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 sentences in sense of really talking about, um, for example, succession processes or oh, what is the popu- what is a good population for some tots in the mining side and and therefore this is a big challenge for the mining industry. And uh, of course, if if there are good people discussing to each other and trusting each other that after a long time such a restoration will be possible, then of course you always find uh, over if you lie it over, you find always things you can do 
in a restoration concept on the site, which will be had, which will have very good uh, influence on the Natura 2000, for example, or the nature conservation uh, targets of the site. Of course, there is a big contribution. The only thing is, do authorities have enough trust in mining industry that there is enough experience to fulfill? It seems clear that trust is a major hurdle for the mining industry to overcome. We also asked Michael about other challenges that the industry faces when it comes to the permitting process. There are some challenges and first of all we have to distinguish between a mining company being inside a, a nature conservation area or next to. That's already a big difference, makes a big difference in the, in the permitting processes. and. For companies situated directly in, an, um, for example, Natura 2000 side, there is uh, mostly, especially for the cement industry, not for the concrete and for the for the gravel industry, there is the big challenge that they already exist long time before the European Union has or the country has uh, 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 created the, the Natura 2000 side. So they suddenly have to change completely their their minds of getting uh, more land for the for the mining activities, which is much more complicated than before. And um, and on the other hand, we have uh, a lot of mining companies situated next to uh, nature conservation areas, and there a big challenge is to to uh, to getting um, um, the awareness that the activities on the mining sites are not influencing uh, the the nature conservation targets in the nature conservation areas. But coming back to the first thing, I think we have to discuss really later on that the big challenge that a company who was always having the, 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 the future view to getting more land for the activities, getting completely stopped by the nature conservation activities coming later. And so the, the whole business model has to change then. And they have to learn to, to communicate with NGOs, with uh, nature conservation authorities, and maybe later on, I would like to talk about how these two parties, the nature conservation people on one side and on the other side, the mining industry are communicating to each other. Because one of my biggest challenges very often, they can't understand each other. Yes, it's, 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 if, if, you, if you have a mining engineer sitting next to an ecologist, they might talk about the same thing, but they are not have not the same wording. They have not the, the, the same background. And that's very often is one of the, the biggest starting points of challenging processes because they don't understand each other. That's very helpful to better understand the industry's perspective. One thing that becomes clear is that the location of a mining project or acquiring project can have a significant impact on permitting processes. We also asked Leah about her take, say from the public authorities' perspective, and how she thinks the mining industry can overcome their challenges. She shared with us some insights from her work in Portugal. Ourselves made uh, pilot projects in the nature conservation, uh, in our nature park. When we start, when the, the nature park was classified, there was a lot of queries that was not legal. So my colleagues went to the field and tried to uh, convince the, the explorers that it was important to have a legal uh, exploration and not only that but we all we also have a lot of places where there are people that were exploited but because the the ground the the stone was not so good <coughs> they abandoned the place completely 
um, in chaos. So what we have done with European funds, we pick up and ourselves made the restoration and rehabilitation of those places. With those rehabilitation and restorations, we made examples for the explorators. So we made, we give, we give, we get the example for how we can manage to do it with not expending much money. It, it was about 40 years ago. And nowadays we see a little bit more far. So what we see is that we have with dialogue and understanding and technicians from all those um, uh, disciplines, ecology, biology, geology, and so on, putting together, working together, and knowing what we have in the field, we can restore habitats, we can make habitats grow where there is no one, no, no habitat, with the process of rehabilitation. We defend that what we must, what we uh, would like very much to see is in one end, the exploration uh, of the stone and the other end, the rehabilitation of the space. Doing at the same time, if it is possible, is the best way to get trust and to, um, to know that what we are doing or, or what the, the, the company is doing is doing well, is going, is going in a good way, or we have to change a little bit the project. We believe that is always working together with the companies and we do surveillance with our technicians, with our rangers. So we, we, we go often to the field and we often visit those companies and those explorations and talk with them closely. It's possible to get trust in, it, in each other. From Leah's example, it really seems crucial to involve all stakeholders in the dialogue and to collaborate very closely with the companies. Let's hear from Michael with his unique perspective as both a professor and an industry consultant. If there are any additional insights or strategies he thinks could be useful to overcome the challenges for permitting in nature protected areas. In my experience, the state of uh, just-in-time restoration, so you, you mine on one side and on the other side you start with the restoration, that's an absolutely important thing, that the people also in the surrounding the stakeholders see that the that this open hole is step-by-step step closed and it, and so, so you, you, minu, uh, you minimize the conflicts regarding the landscape destruction also. That's from, I think that's a very important point. Always just-in-time rehabilitation might be the best. And also, um, when I'm working for Heidelberg Cement, uh, we developed a clearly uh, a hierarchy that for all mining sites which are in nature conservation areas or next to conservation areas, we developed together with ecologists, freelancers, or coming from NGOs or in in-house ecologists, we developed for each site a biodiversity management plan clear plan which is uh, describing what is on the site and how could the how could the mining site contribute to the conservation targets of the surrounding nature protected areas and um of course then such a biodiversity plan is always linked to a to-do list what to do over the next years 
And um, so the management knows each year exactly which type of habitat should be restored, what if there should be a lake or not, and so on. And we also learned in the beginning, we wrote these texts in the typically academic way, you know, with a lot of uh, fancy words uh, biologists like, like to use. And we stopped that after two years because we understand that if you write such management, biodiversity management papers for the, for the site, you have to write in wordings which other people also understand. So we, we changed the behavior of, of doing such reports. We start with reports sometimes 40, 60, 70 pages. Nobody is reading that in industry because they have other things to do. So we shorten up the reports. We take a lot of tables inside. So, and we, we, we find words which also a non-ecologist can understand. And, and we trained always also NGOs local NGOs to support the local management by the implementation of the measures. And that is a big success, to be honest, to take everybody in, the authorities, the NGOs, experts, and having every year on these sites done a meeting, several meetings, discussing what has to be done this year and how to implement. And for me, very important, also the monitoring, is there any success of these measures? Because that's, that's, we, lost, we lose very often, we do things, but we do not uh, monitor the things. Uh, as we will have to wrap up for today, I'd like to briefly touch upon the EU's new nature restoration law, which puts pressure on companies to do their part and become even more ambitious when it comes to restoration targets. This law requires the extract of sector to achieve a positive impact on biodiversity and it's raising some important questions about the relationship between the extractive sector and nature protection. Leah shares with us her personal outlook on this topic. I, I think um, we have a long way in front of us and I think each one of us has to make uh, some, some effort and, and meaning that work in nature conservation have to make the effort to understand and uh, in a way support the economic activity. It, it's also important that the, the economic activity works to make its activity uh, sustainable. And not only by restoring or rehabilitation of the, the areas that they exploit, but also for encouraging the research in order to discover new mineral deposits and improve methods of their, of their uh, exploitation, minimizing the, the negative uh, environmental impacts associated with this activity. For instance, finding technology solutions that with less need of, um, of working the, uh, the rock. For instance, if you, you have a, a limestone quarry, in some cases, there are a lot of waste. If you find ways of doing better, getting less waste, it will benefit the natural conservation. I think that is always by the example that we can go along and, and we can convince the, the, the legislators, the politicians, the public 
that it is possible to have this activity and also uh, take care of nature. I think it's I think it's always by the examples and and technologically try to develop new techniques. And for instance, in the, the beginning of this quotation, when you, you show the plan for the, the query, when you, you made the exploitation, you have always in mind what is that what this that area is going to look like in the end. What will be our final final goal for the rehabilitation? And that word rehabilitation must be always in our mind all over the, the, the process. Leah made a great point here about the role of technological progress in minimizing the environmental impact of mining. It's an important factor to keep in mind as we think about how to make the extractive sector more sustainable. It was really fascinating to hear insights from both Leah and Michael, and we learned a lot about the importance of dialogue and trust between different stakeholder groups. These themes have come up time and time again in our podcast series, and they're essential to creating a sustainable future for the extractive sector. To close this episode, I invite you to check out the Sumex Knowledge Repository, where you can find further examples of sustainable practices in the extractive sector. I look forward to uh, the next episode and invite you to stay tuned. (laughs) 